Good morning, Open Door. It's good to be with you in the house of God this morning. Who's excited to open the word? Yes. Yes. We are going through the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, in an exegetical manner, working our way through verse by verse. And we are going to be in chapter 7 of Luke today. If you want to get your Bibles out, whether it's on your phone or the book. If you don't have a Bible, Caleb has already mentioned this before, but we have some out the front there. They're blue. If you want to take one with you, please go and grab one of those now if you want to follow along. The title of the message this morning is Doubt in the Face of Miracles. We're going to be looking at this section in the middle, starting at verse 18, that talks about John the Baptist asking if Jesus really is the one uh, that they'd all been waiting for. I'd love to get a little bit of um, a little bit of body language, yes or no's from you guys this morning. If you've ever had doubt in your faith, I'm getting a lot of head nods. The chuckling sounds like it could mean yes. Most of us, all of us, I'd say, have struggled with doubt in our faith. The title is "Doubt in the Face of Miracles." There's going to be a lot of miraculous things taking place in this section of Luke. And I think it can be easy for us to think sometimes, maybe if I um, had something miraculous take place in my life, then maybe I wouldn't doubt. But as we're going to find out that that's not always, if ever, the case about how doubt comes and goes. So let's start. We're going to read through from verse 18 through to 28. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, to Jesus, uh, to John, sorry. And calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases, and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of who it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Right before this passage in Luke 7, we read these two incredible, quite miraculous stories that take place where Jesus heals a centurion servant and he raises a widow's son from the dead. And then right after these take place, uh, 
we read that John is doubting whether Jesus is actually the one they've been waiting for. And it's interesting that these miracles are worded in a way and are specifically meant to make us think of prophecies that were spoken of what the Messiah's life would look like. And as we hear that Jesus is doing these things, we're meant to be thinking he's fulfilling these prophecies. He is the one that we've been waiting for. And then this is where we find John's doubt. So who was who was this John the Baptist? Who was Johnny B? I got that one off Pastor Lynch. I quite liked it. Johnny B. He was called and set apart for the Lord. We read that uh, an angel appeared to his father, Zechariah, and told him that this was going to be a child who would grow up and his life would be the fulfillment of prophecy, that he would actually prepare the way for the Messiah, that the Holy Spirit would be indwelling him before he was even born. And he grew up and he began to preach the kingdom of God. He did prepare the way for the Messiah. And we read that he was baptizing people in the wilderness. And as Jesus came up to him, we read that John knew immediately as he saw Jesus, he knew this is the one we've been waiting for. And and Jesus says to John, um, will you baptize me? And John says, no, you you need to baptize me. But John does, in fact, um, listen to the master and and baptizes Jesus. And, And scripture says that the heavens open that the spirit descended on Jesus like a dove and that the voice of God spoke and said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We read uh, in John one thirty four that John actually says, and I have seen and borne witness that this is the son of God. Pretty incredible rap sheet. And as you're reading these things, as I'm reading these things, kind of putting them out in chronological order, I'm not expecting doubt to flow from this place. I'm looking at these things and I'm thinking, this is amazing. If those things are true of me, I would never doubt. And we read now in verse 18, the disciples have been telling John, this is everything Jesus is doing. And then right after that, John says, just go and ask him if he's the one. What? After all these things? so easy to read that and think that you wouldn't do the same. How many of you have ever read uh, the, the, the Israelites being set free from slavery, that story? They're coming through the Red Sea. It opens up. They walk through on dry land. The very next story you read, they're melting everyone's earrings down and making a golden calf. And you think, have you ever read that and been like, oh, I can't believe you guys are doing this right now. I would never do that. And then the story goes on and they're hungry and they start grumbling. And they say the food we had when we were slaves is better than this stuff. And you think to yourself, I would never say that. I've been set free. How many of you ever read uh, Jesus' crucifixion put up on a wooden cross by his own people? And think to yourself, if I lived at that time, I wouldn't have been a part of that group. Maybe we would have. I think we we can so easily look at the miraculous that's taking place with someone else and think that we wouldn't doubt. 
And if only we had some of that miracle stuff, maybe we wouldn't struggle with doubt. But let's see what happens if we if we put that rap sheet of John next to our own. Where John was called and set apart in Jesus, we have been called and set apart, chosen, called to live the lives as men and women that we were created to be. Romans 12 verse 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And we know that that renewal can only take place by the life of Jesus who lives within us. And when John was filled with the spirit in Jesus, we have been filled and sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, the very fullness of God himself, his resurrected life, his power, his authority, his enabling. Ephesians 1 says in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Where John prepared the way for the kingdom, because of Jesus, the kingdom is here and now. John was preparing for something that had not yet come and we live in the reality of what Jesus has brought about. And we've been commissioned not only to preach the kingdom, but that those around us who have not yet experienced it would see the king of the kingdom in and through us. Where John only knew in part, we now know in full this great mystery that has been hidden For ages, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. All of a sudden, our lives look pretty miraculous as well. Maybe even more so. And yet we still live lives plagued with doubt. I wonder... How often the seeds of doubt are first sown in our lives when what we had hoped for doesn't happen the way we thought it would. When what we had expected the outcome or experience to be turn out very different, the seeds of doubt often begin to grow. Who's thinking of something right now? Who's thinking about something they've been through or they're going through right now? That when you think about that day when you said yes to Jesus, to be a follower of him, what you have experienced or are experienced is by no means what you expected. If you just pluck this passage we're looking at right now, out on its own and you knew nothing else, you might think to yourself, well, what's so unexpected about what John's going through? Seems like he's got some pretty cool stuff happening, doesn't it? But remember, context is key. We can never pull out a passage or a verse on its own and try and create something from it. So if we read about the life of John, we actually find that in Luke chapter 3, he's been thrown in prison. And he's in prison at this very moment. This was a man whose life... And he knew this was the fulfillment of prophecy. He knew that from birth he'd been called to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. And he's sitting on a cold, dirty prison floor in chains at this moment. And I can guarantee you he's thinking, this is not what I had expected. 
How many of us? I think all of us, when we think about our journey and our walk with the Lord, have been through countless things that are not what we thought we had signed up for. It's hard. It's difficult. It takes us off the trajectory that we had thought we were going. If I had been called to prepare the way for the Messiah, my trajectory in my mind would not have been prison. And we soon find out that John will not leave that prison. He will be beheaded in that prison. When I was coming to the end of my plumbing apprenticeship, I really sensed the Lord putting it on my heart to, to study his word in some capacity, some kind of short-term, gap-year-style Bible school. And there was I remember I developed this list of about five different places that I thought might be good, really prayed about it. And I don't know about you, but at this time as a 19-year-old, my understanding of God's will for my life was this, that there is a very certain path. And if I'm not walking on it, then I mustn't be in his will for me. I'm getting some nods. I'm, I think I'm seeing some people that have been there. It's a very traumatic time. It's, very, it's, very, it's a real struggle when you're expecting God to lead in a certain way. And I remember praying, God, I've got this list right now. I know your will for me is to go to one of these places. Would you just light the words up on the page, please? I'm just going to go outside. I'm going to wait for those clouds that you see on some of those movies. And when the rays come down, Lord, would you just speak audibly to me where you want me to go? And he didn't. I expected God to lead me in a certain way. How many have thought God would lead you in a certain way? Yeah, and he didn't. But six months later, I was on a trip to Thailand with a couple of friends. We were visiting an orphanage when we knew someone there. And in Thailand, of all places, we met another group of Australians. And I started chatting with them. And I was chatting with this one lady, and she said to me, what do you want to do next year? And I said, I want to go to a Bible school. And she said, well, I live just down the road from this place called Cape and Ray Bible School. And you wouldn't believe it, that was one of the places on my list. And in my mind, I saw it lighting up on the paper i said thank you lord but it wasn't what i expected you know i love that even when our theology isn't quite right even when we haven't got it quite worked out about how god operates it doesn't stop him from leading us it doesn't prevent his faithfulness and he was so faithful to lead me even though i thought he was going to do it a certain way but the unexpected seems to be more common i think than the expected So what does it do to us? What do we allow it to do to us? I've said this before, but John, who was a Jew, lived in a culture who literally you guys, that you grew up memorizing books of the Bible. It was written on your heart. It was written in your mind. And, And hearing three words from a passage immediately brings it up in your mind and you're ready to go. And so as he's hearing these stories of people's sight being restored, of the dead being raised, 
He's not just hearing incredible miracles. His mind is going to the book of Isaiah. And he's thinking of these verses. He's thinking of Isaiah 35 verses 5 and 6. And it says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be open, and the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And Isaiah 61 verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Surely, having this come to his mind over and over, hearing these miracles, this would have confirmed the identity of Jesus, you would think. But get this, when the unexpected invades our world, even what we have known to be true can be flooded with doubt. And when I doubt, what I see is me. Yeah? When we doubt, we see ourselves. Our vision, our perspective goes inward. And for those of us who walk with Jesus, what's our true north? It's Jesus. But doubt comes in and it skews our perspective. And so even having scripture come to your mind can lose its true north of Jesus. So he's in this place of chains. Knowing scripture, word for word, and I can only imagine John thinking to himself, those who were blind, they can now see. Those who were deaf, they can now hear. I'm hearing all about it. Those who couldn't walk, they were stuck on a bed. They're walking, they're leaping. Those who were dead are raised to life. I can only imagine John's attention being firmly fixed on the last line of Isaiah 61 verse 1. The opening of the prison to those who are bound. Lord, what about this prison? What about me? That, they, they got the, the miracles but look at me, look at my circumstances. I'm bound. What about the bondage? What about the releasing of that bondage? I'm in chains, God. How many know it's possible to walk with and know the words of God without really walking with and knowing the word of God? You can know the scriptures. You can have them down pat. But if our perspective is taken off Jesus as king, all we're going to see is the situation we're in. If you only have the word, you dry up. If you only have the spirit, you blow up. When you have the spirit and the word, you grow up. I didn't come up with that, but it's, it's really good. Really good. What I love this, I love Jesus' response to John's doubt. We read in verse 22. This is what Jesus says to John's disciples. 
Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Initially, I'm thinking to myself, this doesn't sound overly reassuring. Because hadn't he heard this already? And wasn't his mind going to these scriptures already? And wasn't this what contributed to his doubt to begin with? But something happens when the word of God is paired with the spirit of God. And anything that comes from the mouth of Jesus brings our attention to Jesus. This was a light bulb moment. A moment where our attention and our focus move from me to Jesus. Because what if the ultimate purpose of Jesus coming went beyond the physical? What if it went beyond physical miracles? What if it was vision to a different kind of blindness? What if it was hearing to a different kind of deafness? What if it was being raised to a different kind of life? What if it was good news that went deeper than the physical? And I want you to hear me so clearly right now. I am not saying that Jesus does not care about our physical needs. Jesus wept over the death of Lazarus. Jesus healed more ailments than we have recorded in these, in these verses. He cares about every kind of pain you experience. But he came for a purpose and he's coming again for a purpose. And I need you to know that your spiritual state is far more important than your physical state because our spiritual lives will go on for eternity. And Jesus came to break a different kind of bondage. He came to break you out of a different kind of prison. And it's a prison that has a key that does not come from anywhere else but Jesus. And he knew he was going to the cross for that purpose. That his perfect life would bring about the restoration of our spiritual state. That we needed his spirit combined with our spirit to finally be set free. And I just imagine John in that prison. In agony that he probably won't get out. But knowing that he has been set free because of Jesus. In verse 24, Jesus turns to the crowd. John's disciples have gone. And he begins to speak to them. Now, this was a crowd who most of them had heard John preach in the wilderness. Many of them would have been baptized by John. And I love this. Jesus just stands in the gap and protects John with love. Here's a group of people that just hear this amazing preacher that they'd heard and been baptized by, doubting the very thing he'd been preaching about. And where John's reputation could have been shattered, where all kinds of rumors could have been created about him, what does Jesus do? He loves and protects him and he says, when you went out into the wilderness, what did you go to see? A reed shaken by the wind? 
What happens to a reed when it is blown by the wind? It, it has no control over whether it goes to the left or to the right. It, it has no backbone. It's here or it's there. It doesn't know what it stands for. <laughs> Was that the John that you went out to hear? It wasn't. That's not who he is. What did you go out to see? Was it a man dressed in soft clothing? I like that. Was he living in luxury in king's courts? No, he was wearing animal skins and eating locusts and honey. I imagine Jesus is trying to say, was he a man given over to the pleasures of this world? Did he have no self-control? Had he ever had to strive or persevere? That wasn't who this John was. He was a man committed to what he had been called to do. So what then did you go out to see? He was a prophet. And he wasn't just any prophet. He was the greatest one that's ever been born. That's a pretty cool compliment to get. Jesus didn't ridicule, belittle or mock John in the midst of John's doubt of whether Jesus was the Messiah. You'd think that was a pretty big deal. But Jesus loves him. He protects him. He sees him for who he is. Because something happens when we're seen through Jesus. It changes our identity. See, Jesus hadn't died yet. But faith works the same from before Jesus had died as it does from after Jesus died. It's a little bit of a time warp. But it works the same. Because John had faith in who Jesus was and is. He was covered by the sacrifice that Jesus was going to do. Because we have faith in who Jesus was and is, we are covered by the sacrifice that Jesus has done. And so Jesus is able to see those who have put their faith and trust in him through his blood, through his perfect sacrifice, as holy, blameless, spotless, Did you know Jesus died for you while you were a sinner? That while you were in your most broken state, he chose you? Why would we go to anyone else without doubt? Praise God that his love for us is not based on our togetherness. I need you guys to hear this. It is not a sin to doubt. Now, what you do with your doubt will take you down two different paths. But if we allow our doubt to bring us to our knees and surrender to Jesus, it will bring us closer to him than we were before. Don't allow the devil to tell you that because you have doubts, you aren't worthy to come to the feet of Jesus. Because your worthiness is not based on how put together you are. That's what grace is. I love the last line of verse 28. After Jesus is pumped up, John. Johnny B is so pumped up right now. That's his piece. And he turns to the crowd and he gives them a nugget of gold. And he says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. In other words, he's saying the one who realizes the depth of their depravity, 
The one who realizes their absolute insufficiency and inability to save themselves, to put it together, to reach the mark. The one who realizes that falls at the feet of Jesus with their doubt, with their mess, with their sin. He will be the greatest in the kingdom of God. The very next story that takes place after this that finishes off the chapter is a story of a sinful woman in a Pharisee's house who in realizing how much she's been forgiven and and the great love that Jesus has for her, she weeps. She falls at his feet. Scripture says that she dries them with her hair. My prayer is that we would take a leaf out of her book because I don't think there's many other examples of this truth than that. And I love that Luke strategically places that right after this little nugget of gold here. Would we, would we be like that sinful woman? You guys, you don't have to have the answers to your doubt to fall at the feet of Jesus. Too many times have we waited for an answer until we fell at his feet. Would we go to Jesus first and foremost? Before we go to Google, before we ask Siri, before we go to our families, would Jesus be the one that we're drawn to like a magnet, that we fall at his feet, knowing we are so, so loved and affirmed in him? He says in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. You guys, if you have walked with Jesus for many years and you're struggling with doubt today, my challenge and my urge to you is that you would fall at his feet. Knowing he is the safest, safest place that you could ever find. Knowing that that will only draw you to a deeper place than you had ever known. And if you are sitting in here this morning and your doubt is not coming from a place of someone who has known Jesus. But your doubt is coming from a place of whether you could or should know Jesus. My prayer is that you would do the same. Go to him. He is calling your name. He is wanting to take your doubt. And show you that he is the source of life and freedom. The key to every chain that has ever bound you. I would love to share with you. It's called a spoken word. It's kind of like poetry. Or a rap if you had a beat to it. It's, it's something I wrote a number of years ago. That basically encapsules my, my story. My testimony of coming to Jesus and just being excited to know him. So I'd love to share that with you. This is how it goes. I've been down this road one too many times, past failures and mistakes that are blocking my mind. I'm just trying to equate why I'm struggling each day, why I can't keep these feet on the straight and narrow highway. Then it dawned on me the only way to succeed was to call out to the Lord, my heart's the door, you be the key. Open it up, make me whole, wash me clean. Because I'm just sick and tired of that sinner that is me. So every day when I struggle, I need you on the double. So why is it that I sometimes say, I got this one, no trouble? Because without you, I'm pathetic. This wouldn't be poetic. You'd all be getting a headache and shout and get a medic. 
So that's why you're in my life. That's why it's you I live by. Never let me fall away. Never let me see another day without you right here with me because a life without you is like a life without air. You know what that means? It means I ain't going nowhere. Now I'm on cloud nine, flying high, shouting out, my, am I. I can't explain this feeling that my Lord Jesus is real and feels like I'm on the ceiling and I got to get down so I can preach the saving grace that pulled me out of the crowd and out of the doubt that for so long made me blind to see what it's all about. Now I'm living it out. And I was blind, but now I see. Bound, but now I'm free. Through his son who died for me, now I walk in victory and I'll praise his name. I'll live to bring him fame. Shame on me for thinking I could keep him in a frame. He's the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. He was hated by the world, but to the world he was a friend. And as he carried his own cross, its purpose was to save. He thought of you as he died and as he rose from the grave. He brought with him new life. The keys back from hell. So with every last breath of his story, I'll tell that God died for you, not because you deserved it, but he saw past your sin and he said, you're worth it. You're worth the pain of eternal separation. You're worth the anguish of never-ending damnation. You're worth every lash, every shameful remark. You're worth being brought into light from the dark. So now don't you see? He wants you. And not your old life that you're trying to hold on to. Lay it down, let it go at the foot of the cross. Understand what he's done understand the cost let's pray thank you jesus that you came you dwelt among us you put on flesh you lived that perfect life thank you that there is no other place that is safe than you thank you that you are not put off by our doubt thank you that our doubt doesn't discredit us Lord, we pray that you would give us the strength and the urge to run to you without doubt. Lord, knowing that there is no other loving embrace that we could ever want to go to. We love you, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen.